Hey everyone, welcome to This Is Not A Podcast. My name is Bobby Hundreds, and I swore I would never make a podcast. As the co-founder of The Hundreds, a men's streetwear brand that's been selling worldwide for over 16 years, I figured, is there anything left for me to say? But here we are. After publishing my first memoir and reflecting on my own experiences of building a business, my personal and financial struggles and successes, I realized there was more to talk about, maybe not just from my perspective. The best part is, I still get to say, I don't have a podcast. This is just a curious audio thing where you get to meet cool, interesting people. You're listening to This Is Not A Podcast. Today I'm speaking with my close friend, neighbor, and soul sister, Ellen Bennett. Ellen is the founder of internationally recognized workwear brand, Headley & Bennett. If you're following me from the streetwear space, you may be unfamiliar with Ellen's label because you won't find it stocked at sneaker resale stores or Dover Street Market. Headley & Bennett is a kitchenware brand. In fact, the first to do it best. If you dine at any of the more established restaurants in the world, take a peek inside the kitchen and chances are you'll find her square red ampersand logo emblazoned on a chef's apron. We built a community and we didn't even, I didn't even know what I was building, but I was building it and I was building it hard. Like I really was dedicated and adamant. Ellen drummed up the idea around a premium and cool kitchenware brand back in 2012 when she was a line chef at the famed restaurants Baco Mercat and Providence here in LA. But it wasn't just her chic aprons and luxe chef coats that won popularity in the culinary world. Ellen herself is a force of nature, and her personality and inspirational voice have positioned her as a leader and guiding light in the entrepreneurial space. Find your magic sauce. Don't try to be like other people. It's easier to Mm. think in your mind that it's cool to be like other people, but it's actually better to work on being the coolest version of you. But building a business out of a dream isn't easy. In fact, it's scary. It can be disheartening and often painful. Ellen and I sometimes get together for late night dinners just to share and relate our hardships that come with being a boss. In chapter 16 of my book, The Hardest Part, I equate my managerial duties as exactly that, the hardest part of my job. It's something that's rarely discussed in startup culture. Entrepreneurial discussion typically revolves around the glory and sexy scintillating parts of rising up and achieving goals. But what about our duties as delegators? our obligations as responsible leaders. What's it take to really be a boss? Meet Ellen Bennett of Headley and Bennett. How many podcasts do you get asked to do? (laughs) What is the frequency? Because I want to know how special I am. You know... I feel like, and I wish everybody could see how I was sitting. Now I'm on my knees. You, you literally a, look like, like little, you're levitating above your chair. Yep, because I'm wearing a big old skirt. Um, I don't know, like one a month? One a month, and then do you do one a month? I would say on average, I either do one a month or a talk a month. Oh, and then what kind? what are the themes around the podcasts and talks? It's usually my story, which yeah. I, you know, we start with that. And then we dive into... What's the real deal? What's the real shit happening? Like, like where's your like attention? The- What's your like new, where's your new North star? How are you going to get there? And I always like to make it 
very fucking honest because yeah. good old Instagram makes everything look so So the first shiny. part is the Instagram <laughs> is, version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first part's the shine. And then the, the second, second part is the, the grime. The, real, the shine and the grime. grime this Grimed is out. pretty grimy. So you're yeah. saying you're not doing a podcast because you have, you're working on your book. Yep. And what else are you working on? I'm working on a book. I'm working on a show. I you're working on a TV show. Yes. Which is also a big deal. Mm -hmm. And we are, we created a product development department for Headley and Bennett this year for the first time ever. Cause it used to just be me and my ideas at two in the morning. What does a product development team entail? What is that? What does that mean for people who don't understand product development? So, I mean, very much like you guys, we are self-funded and started everything from literally my house. Um, that's so, the grime. That's the grime. A little bit dirty, of dirty, dirty, dirty ass grime. Yeah. And some shininess just cause I smile yeah. <laughs> <laughs> through the shit storms. You see my white teeth. Um, but the product development thing was something that I always just sat with chefs and I'd be like, what do you hate? What do you love? How can we make your product better? Mm. What, what, what sucks about a chef coat? Why is that apron not great on your neck? And it was always just like in the hallways of life. Yeah. And it wasn't until this year that we were like, no, fuck that. You want shit to launch on time? You want to have product that's actually awesome and you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to create new things and like evolve? You have to have a team that's actually like pushing dates forward. You have an amazing team. Yeah. And I feel like in, in some ways, I mean, we've done two collaborations together now and I was definitely inspired by how organized you guys were and how you had all your line sheets and you were preparing for the next year, a year earlier. And for us, Mm. because we're the manufacturer too, we were, we were a little bit like lazy, not in a lazy way, but in cutting corners that we didn't have to prepare because we weren't doing it overseas. Yeah. So we could like come up with an idea and then a month later it existed. You can wait until the 11th hour. Exactly. And that's not always good. And I've realized in my old 31 years of age that planning (laughs) actually works and it helps and it really does make execution that much better. It's about finding the good ideas amongst the millions of ideas and Mm. and honing in on that one. Yeah. That's good design. Oh yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Because you really, you have so many fucking ideas. Yeah. But like, how do you select the one that you're actually going to put the effort behind? How do you decide what to focus on amongst all the, amongst the 8 million great ideas? Because we are idea generators. Yeah. Yeah. We're like maniacs. Yeah. It's a, it's like a blessing and a curse, right? Because you just constantly come up with new and other things and Mm -hmm. your team around you is maybe a little bit more linear than you. And so then they're like, hi, roadmap, sandbox. Launch date, marketing calendar, yeah. time and action calendar, and you're and then like, you're over here. Yeah, and I'm you're like, over but there. what about this? Yeah. I just literally saw this person. It was the greatest idea ever. I think we should do this. <laughs> Scrap it all. Yeah. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So that happens. But again, with my 31 years of old age, I'm realizing that it definitely helps to plan. So I'm being yeah. a little more patient. Mm. because I see the outcome of a good launch and I see yeah. the outcome of a shitty launch. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm like, okay. Fuck it. Yeah. It's true. I should put a little more effort into it. Mm. And it's incredible. I mean, I literally just flew in from Seattle last night. I was there for two days, 48 hours. And I went to do an event. And then I spent my entire days literally running from restaurant to uh, commissary to Microsoft. We And I met with teams there. I got tours doing? of their kitchens. I was going and meeting our apron squad. I was meeting our community. Oh, just let's go up there and meet who is supporting big, Headley and Bennett. Yeah, I did a big event with like a chef out there, Tom Douglas, 
for a big thing he does every year. And then I had my team build a bunch of meetings around it so that I could go visit our people. And it was so inspiring because I walked away with amazing ideas, incredible feedback. Like I practically chokehold people and I'm like, tell me the fucking <laughs> truth. What can you do better? What do we suck at? How can, wow. we, how can, we, how can we be better for you? And then they're like, what do oh, we suck shit. at? Yeah. They're like, oh shit. Ellen Bennett is here choke holding me, telling me. And you're what forcing it, them to say I'm something forcing, negative about yeah, I'm the, like, Don't give me the pep talk that everything's great and dandy. We're humans. We make mistakes. What can we do better? And I always walk whoa. away with something really great. And I come back to my team and I immediately have like feedback meetings. Yeah. And I'm like, hey guys, I think we can improve the strap on this. We could change the collar. Yeah. And it's great. And sometimes people are nervous to give you that feedback. Yo, aren't you nervous to receive it sometimes? Hell Isn't no, I'd scary? rather have it than them say it behind my back and then I can't do anything about it. It's like when an employee quits and then you didn't fucking know until they're out the door and you couldn't do anything about it. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's never happened. Ever. I don't even know who you're talking about. This is, <laughs> we've, only had, we've only had the most supportive employees. Every, every breakup has been so, so hugs, peaceful. There's hugs, there's loving. giveaway presents. Yeah. Yep. No. Um, yeah, no, I'd rather know and get ahead of it. And while it hurts, wow. it's better to be in front than behind. What was something, uh, what was a, a remark that someone gave this you know, last week? You know, being super transparent, one of these customers was somebody that, uh, an old employee of ours that mm -hmm. no longer works for us, um, they totally messed it up big time. Like they legitimately screwed up the order for these people and they, were, oh. and they were upset. They were upset with us for a while. And I, when I went there, the first thing I said to them yesterday, I was like, I just want you to know that I am incredibly sorry that that happened to you. Whoa. And as someone that started this company seven years ago out of my house with $300, I want you to know that you are the most important thing and that my community is number one and that we will not let this happen again. You have my word. Here's my cell phone, my email and my card, and you can contact me good, bad, ugly. And I looked them all in the eyes and they were like, Oh fuck. Like she's not screwing around. And that is fucking loyalty right there. That's right. creating brand loyalty because I'm loyal to my customers. Yeah. Just like they're loyal to me. I think that's important, right? I think so we've, important. Oh, we've both been big proponents of that. My mission has always just been to connect to someone, not everyone. Yeah, exactly. And you've been street so good by about street, that, right? Person by person. Yeah. Yeah, no. And it's like I, we're encyclopedia salesmen or vacuum salesmen, like going door to door. Totally, fax machine salesmen yeah, back in the day. Those people used to make a lot of money. Hell yeah, they did. And yeah. you know, some of the coolest entrepreneurs out there used to be like door to door salesmen. Because like some mega successful entrepreneurs. It's, it's, so it's crazy to think that in this day and age when it's all about Instagram, direct marketing and ads that hit 30,000 people at a time and Facebook yeah. marketing, it still really comes down to the most effective, most profound, most pervasive type of marketing selling you can do is just in directly like sitting there totally. with someone one-on-one. -on -one and then it's, and then those people are so affected by you that then yeah. they become word of mouth for you. And when we moved to Vernon, we got a 16,000 square foot factory and I turned half the factory into what would now be called an experiential space. But back in the day, I was just like, this is a rad space to bring people together, like cook and have parties and events and be able to support people when they come to LA. If they, you know, want to throw a dinner, don't have a space, they can come do it here. Yeah. And so, you know, we outfit Shake Shack 
And when Shake Shack came to the West Coast, I was able to reach out to Danny Meyer, who's like my fucking hero. Yeah. The head, you know, and owner of Shake Shack and say, hey, we'd love to host your party for you coming to L.A. And that was a really big moment for me to be able to give back to my community in that way. And we hosted a thousand people in our factory and had like a DJ in the treehouse. We built a zip line with slides. Like there's a Lacolum coffee bar. And to this day, if you walk in, you can get a tour and you see our manufacturing floor and you get Jenny's ice cream and we have healthy kombucha on tap and Lacolum coffee, which by the way, are all brands in my community that I love and they love me and they send us products so that people can try it. And it's just part of building that like soul. It's not this like soulless mm. monster. It has a mission and a purpose. Yeah. And it's just like the apron is the byproduct of everything. So it was scary. I'm assuming when you were first working on those aprons, cause there's no roadmap. Right. Yeah. And everyone's scary. <laughs> kind of, it's still scary, Yeah. but now you, there's a little bit of an ecosystem, right? There's yeah. like an ecology around these, totally. um, kitchen what do you call it culinary chef gear chef gear yeah um one of the main questions i get asked is were there times of doubt how did you get through times of doubt when people told you it wasn't going to work how did you convince yourself to do it um how did you 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 sincerely have to have enough conviction in whatever it is that you're doing and enough purpose and drive that doesn't have to do with the money Mm -hmm. to get you through the shit interesting because if you're doing it for the call it revenue, it's just not worth it. Right. Like there's to, easier ways there's to make money. Way easier, yeah. way less complicated complicated ways to totally. live your life than yeah. to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur is a very large decision to make and it is not a joke. And I think that for me it was that community factor mm. and the fact that I was a young woman, I'm Mexican and American. And to show other people that like, yeah, I could be 25 years old and I was going to go out in the world and make something out of nothing, virtually nothing and create it with my own blood, sweat and tears and then build a team around it and then build a community around Mm. it. And then just do everything that people don't expect me to do. Like people walk into our factory to this day and they're like, oh, where's the owner? You know, if they're like old, old people, Mm -hmm. old bankers or whatever. And I come out and, and they're sort of surprised and, yeah. and still shocked that yeah. they're like, oh, great. Is this was your grandfather's business? Yeah. I'm like, nope, I'm Headley and Bennett. Thank yeah. you. What can I do for you? You don't need anything? <laughs> great. Get out. You know, it's just like that. Why not break those walls and break those ideas? And if we can mm. show people that you and me's of the world can do it, yeah. that makes people say, well, I can do it too. And that's. That's fucking what makes it worth it. It makes the shit storms worth it. How long have you had the hundreds for? 16 years. Wow. You're double, double my age. It's been seven years and I've seen such an evolution in the chef world from where I started. Yeah. I was the only player and now there's so many players. And then it's like, do you welcome them in? Do you help them? Do you hate on them? Like learning that you are at the leader, you're the leader of the pack. And like, how do you sort of pave the way slash continue to stay alive as your own business too, while all these new players are coming in. What do you mean when you say you were the first of the pack to be in the space? My company's Headley and Bennett and we're, we're a culinary brand, but we started out as an apron company. So the whole idea was like, make the best fucking aprons for the, for the restaurant space that we can. And it was just that simple. It was, And nobody was doing that. Nobody was doing it with the care and heart and like soul that we put into it. For we Before were, it was just a utilitarian. Yeah, it was literally like $10 apron. You bought it overseas. They were made out of poly cotton. They fell apart after like 
10 uses. They were just garbage. And what I wanted to do was make something that had a sense of like dignity and pride. When you put it on, you're like, fuck yeah, I yeah, am a yeah. cook. I am a de- chef. I am a whatever. Yeah. In the way that you put on athletic gear and you're like, I'm a fucking runner. I'm a football player. Yeah. It gives you the part, makes you feel the part. Right. So we started using like Japanese denim and Italian chambray and brass hardware and the best ingredients hmm. and making them in LA and branding people's logos on there, but in a way that felt collaborative versus like private label. Yeah. Like it always had our little patch. We, you know, we have a little ampersand on the chest, mm-hmm. the brand with the ampersand. So people started identifying us with that. They'd be like, what's that little red ampersand? Oh, you must know Ellen here. I'll connect you with Ellen. Ellen's the apron lady. And it just became this like internal cult following in yeah. the food space that if you knew like John and Vinny, they knew me and then somebody would connect me with them. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And so in its own weird way, it was kind of like streetwear yeah. of the food world. Oh, totally. Um, and, and we had no resources. Everything was out of my fucking car. Yeah. I would take meetings on my lunch break. Cause by the way, I worked as a line cook at two restaurants and I would jump in my car, put on Bluetooth and like take calls with, with restaurants. And then at four twenty nine, when it was time to go clock back in for my $10 an hour job, I'd be like, okay, gentlemen, well, it was great chatting with you. I'll circle back with details and follow up on next moves. Thanks so much. Have a great day. And I would like hang up and then fucking run bolt back into the restaurant to like finish out service yeah. as a cook. But here I was sort of playing a double life of growing this business in my free time. So shit was hard. Like yeah. nobody thought that was a good idea. Nobody thought good aprons. There was no blueprint or roadmap there for you to no do that. There was no roadmap. I right? had a fucking yeah. machete in my hand and a yeah. mountain to climb. <laughs> and I was like, here we go, baby. Yeah. And a lot of people for a long time were just like, that's cute. That's really cute. Good luck. Like right. you're a cute little lady. It's cute, yeah. quaint. Yeah. Why would we need something like this? Yeah. Who cares about a branded apron? Yep. It's just an apron. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I think, another parallel to streetwear is that streetwear was the same way. It's just, it's just a t-shirt. Why just would a, a kid t-shirt. pay that much money for right. a rare t-shirt? It's just a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, and the hustle behind it is the same. And also yeah. the being tied personally. So is there something I had, I had a dinner with a friend last night who um, actually two friends, they, they, they run a brand called pair of thieves. It's a socks company. Oh yeah. And David, one of the partners was uh, saying, did you, he's like, why are we built like this? Right. Yeah. As entrepreneurs and as founders, why was it, were we always competitive? And he was asking me, were you always a competitive person? Yeah. I was like, not really. I'm actually the least competitive person, but um in the traditional sense, but I'm the most competitive with myself, but I was always driven. I always felt like I needed to prove a point. Mm -hmm. I needed to feel heard. And these were things that I feel like were just inherent. And one of my kids has that too. And I see it very early in him. And I'm sure my parents saw that. And when children are young, it just looks like they're being difficult and stubborn and they get bored easily in, in school and did you feel a lot of that growing up? Totally. That I mean, I think I was a terrible student yeah. and I was very much not taking the path that everybody else was on. And for mm-hmm. a long time, I tried to be like a crayon in the Crayola box, you know, just like try to fit in, try to be the color yellow next to your friends that are blue and red. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm fucking fuchsia, goddammit. <laughs> and, and it did take me a while to like 
be comfortable with my own skin. But I do think that the world is getting to a place where it's okay to be Mm. different. We're embracing it a lot more. And being different is the best thing you can do because that's your special sauce. Like your special magic is you and there's nobody else in the world that's like you. Right. So why are you trying to be like other people? Yeah. Like those other people, you're doing yourself an injustice by covering up your own special magic. And I don't know, we always came from a place and I still am this way where I was so averse to doing what everyone else was doing that just by the nature of being a contrarian, I had to do the opposite. (laughs) Even if I knew that was the right way to go, sometimes I would say, it can't be right if everyone is moving in that direction. If everyone is making an apron, I can't make an apron. I have to do something completely different. And that in some way, I feel like there are pros and cons of that because I'm not ever going to be the richest person in the world thinking that way because I won't, I can't be exploitative. I can't be an opportunist with trends. Uh, Whenever things start trending in a certain direction, I feel the urge to go against it and drives Ben and my team very crazy because they'll say this type of hat is working. And I'll say, then let's not make hats (laughs) for five years, you know? And, but that's also helped us carve out this very unique personality of the brand where it really doesn't necessarily feel like or move like another brand in the space. And I feel like that's very much your story as well. Right. And even if it's not just aprons, it's like you as a person, you've been able to carve out this space for yourself in this world. I feel like I figured that out early on enough to know that my, my way was different, but it was Mm. okay. And that I enjoyed it. And I also, I think that, I don't know. I wouldn't say that this goes for everybody, but I definitely had a tough upbringing and my parents got divorced and there were just a lot of circumstances that didn't make my life easy. So I I made a big decision that life was mine to take or Mm. to leave. And I could Mm. either stand around and wait for them to figure it out, or I could just start walking down the road and, and carve my own path. And so I've just been doing that forever. And it is scary. It's a scarier road, but it's also worthwhile because you're in the fucking driver's seat. Yeah. 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 Like you're driving the car. And if you hit a pothole, you hit that pothole. Right. Nobody hit that pothole for you. So stop hiding behind this idea that the world is doing shit to you. You're doing shit to yourself and you're letting the world do shit to you. Yeah. So like be in charge of what happens. We have this conversation all the time of death, earthquakes, disasters, President Trump, War, you know, AI, there's only so much that we can control. We can only, there's only so much we can control of what other people think of us. Um, But there are things that we can control. Our perspective, our happiness, our emotional state. These are things that are very much within the the realm of our control. I feel like you got to learn. I didn't get to learn that much later till much later in life. I feel like in my twenties was when I finally took ownership In, in the book I talk about. I had a mentor named Abe who gave me permission to Mm -hmm. follow my dream, right? And that was the first time that I said, oh wait, I'm in control, I can do this. It's not me being accountable to what my parents think or being uh, responsible to whatever my teachers think I should do with my life. I wanna do this with my life and I'm gonna own that. Right, but we both did the same thing. It just came from different places. Like we both made a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abe was there to facilitate your decision, but at the end of the day, you made that decision. I made the decision, yeah. And I made that decision. Right. And and really that's what people have to remember is that Hmm. it all starts with a decision, a decision to change, a decision to shift, a decision to start Hmm. a new habit or to stop a habit. Yeah. Starts with a decision. And then everything else trickles from there. 
So you, you got to be aware of the decisions that you're flinging around in your life. I'm never going to be able to do that. I suck at this. Really? Well, why do you suck? Do you even practice? When did you start practicing? Do you have a schedule that actually makes sense? If you're waking up at midnight and then fucking working for two hours and then going to bed till 2 PM, how's that going to make you a successful person? Is that Beyonce's schedule? I don't fucking think so. So change some shit up. <laughs> this is so funny when I <laughs> listen to you say this because it's, I don't imagine if, if anyone else was sitting here saying something like that, I'd think, oh, she's just being preachy and who, who is she to tell anyone that? But I know when you're saying that right now, you're saying it to yourself. Like this is, these are mantras that you're constantly telling yourself. Cause I'm sure there are days when you wake up and you're like, I can't do this. Or as soon in the morning, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing yeah and I'm failing miserably. And you're like, get up and do this, Ellen. Yeah. Like you're nine years old again. You yeah, know? totally. And that's something that I feel like is internal in all of us. Even when I write the book, even when I write blogs and Instagram posts. I mean, I remember when I came to your office and I stole the book and I was like, I'm reading this. I'm taking one on my way yeah. out. It wasn't even the right cover. Yeah. And I was like, fuck it. I'm taking it. <laughs> and then I texted you. I, I woke up at like three in the morning to yeah. read another chapter because I was so into it. Yeah. And I think that like whether you're industry where or not industry where if you're an entrepreneur, if you have a fucking idea, if you have a dream, you should read yeah. the book because it's just so deeply profound and you feel like you're talking to you. Yeah. Which I love. I always tell people I'm really writing to myself. You know, when people are like, who are you to lecture me or whatever? I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's not really for you. I'm lecturing myself. I don't have it figured out. Yeah. These are things that I even almost like have reflecting to- reflecting on. I'm reflecting on. Sometimes yeah. like we have to deceive ourselves into convincing ourselves to believe just so that we can survive, yeah. right? Because the world's chaos. It is. Yeah. And you have to be your own cheerleader. Yeah. And then you, you make something happen and then all of a sudden it's real to other people too. And then suddenly they start cheering you on but you had to make it real for yourself first. What was that moment that it started becoming real for other people? For In Headley and Bennett land? Yeah. I think it was when I went to New York and David Chang started wearing our aprons and I posted a photo on Instagram. It wasn't just like Ellen in LA outfitting John and Vinny and like uh, a few cool chefs. It was like, oh shit, this is a national thing. Yeah. And now David Chang is wearing it. And then from there, a couple months later, Martha Stewart uh, reached out and she started wearing them and she started outfitting all her cafes across the country at Macy's with our stuff. And we are, we are brands run by human beings, right? Yeah. And humans, we change, we evolve and we shift and we grow. And so as the business grew, I grew and I changed. Mm. And when I started Headley and Bennett, I very much thought of mm. myself as just an apron lady. I literally called myself the apron. Your lady. Instagram handle my, was my Ellen Instagram handle lady. was Ellen the apron lady. Yeah. And about two years ago, I changed it to Ellen Marie Bennett because I looked around one day and I I realized, you know what? I have forty two employees here. I have a sixteen thousand square foot factory that I'm solely and one hundred percent responsible for. I have payroll that's due every two weeks that I'm responsible for. I'm not a fucking apron lady. I'm the founder and CEO of this company, and I better <laughs> own the fucking shoes I made for myself. Yeah, and start acting and be being that. And I was mm. not very good at it. And I had to actually like get a coach. And I told you, about you weren't, this. yeah. Like, yeah. So you weren't very good at on. what? You I weren't very good at being very a leader good at being the leader. Yeah. I was really good at like getting out in the world and meeting customers and running around and spreading the apron squad community love and all of that. But like when it came down to brass tacks, I didn't have a Ben. Yeah. Like I was Ben and Bobby. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so things like P&Ls and EBITDA and all the crazy stuff that you have to actually know about and think about with, when you're running a business, 
was secondary to me. Yeah. And I had to like really lean into that serious discomfort and figure out how to, hmm. how to manage that and how to be okay with that. And that was part of the evolution of the brand too, because then mm. I recognized, you know what, we're not just an apron company. We have the opportunity to be this like culinary brand that we're evolving into. And with the collaborations we were doing with like you guys and the Vans shoes we just did, it, we were starting to like bridge out of our bubble and get yeah. into this zone of discomfort, just how I was in a zone of discomfort as the CEO. So it was like, I was directly umbilical corded to the business. <laughs> and if like I shifted, the business shifted and it's, it's very, it's all very crazy. But you've been seeing the fruits of that discomfort and yeah. working through that hardship. But it's, it's challenging. It's like mm. team members change, they grow, they evolve. The people you start with sometimes aren't the people that go to the next level with you and that's okay. And, and starting to separate my emotionalness from that and mm. just being like, you know what, that person's going on to the next adventure in their life and that's okay. Once I was able to sort of do that, it became easier to swallow the changes. Has that been the hardest part oh, of yeah. being a boss and an owner is admin staff, staff relationships, firing yeah. people, yeah people quitting, yeah. people hating you forever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You are the, you are the bad guy. However you slice it. Yeah. You, at the end of the day, you're like the man within the business. Right. And you have to make calls that affect the entire company and you have to do it for the safety of the company. And sometimes it's not the uh, popular opinion. Yeah. Sometimes it's not the best thing that everyone thinks it should be how it should be done. And so that that's been really hard because I like people to like me. I want to yeah. be liked. I want to be friends with people. And I just, I really had to draw that line in the sand. It's not about friendship. Like it's, we're a team. Yeah. I don't even call our team a family. I say we're a team. Because you can't cut family members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. And it's just like, it's different Yeah, in a team. If that team member is not right for the team anymore, or, or they feel like they need to shift you can let them go and you can allow them to move on. Yeah. And we're really good at that now. Like if somebody is, you know, shifting in their world, we're like, great, let's talk about a transition. Like what would you like to do and how do we work together to facilitate that? Well, that's definitely my worst part of working. My, the, the, my least favorite part of my job and being a founder and owner is having to be a manager, having to be a leader, having to be a boss. I, I don't think you and I ever went into this world thinking that we were going to have to lead a team of 45 people every day looking at us for direction, but also moral support and also emotional support. And also just to be an example, like some days I just want to sleep on my couch and I can't. <laughs> and so I'll see you at our meeting. Yeah, exactly. Minutes. And I have to put on the face and I'm, uh, I'm still completely an idiot and a moron and I act like a crazy person in my <laughs> office. Um, if you ask my staff, but uh, it's, it's something that when you're building a company and you're founding a brand, people don't think about these. There's, there's a number of things that entrepreneurs don't think about. Number, number one is that, is that one day you're going to have to be a boss. You're not necessarily going to be doing the work that you love. You're going to be fixing people's chairs, listening to them complain and, and reading about them hating you online somewhere on glass door on glass door. And sometimes <laughs> just on their personal Twitter accounts and social Instagram, sometimes while they're still working for you. And I always find that strange. But um, what about for you uh, personally? For me personally, well, I'm evolving with the show and yeah. the book. And, you know, I'm a partner in this hotel in downtown called the Firehouse Hotel. 
So the, these are just different outlets. I think very much like you guys, you know, you, you have your poke restaurant <laughs> yeah. and all these other things that just keep your creativity flowing yeah. because we are not stagnant people and we have to constantly evolve and work on new projects and yeah. new adventures. And, you know, I'm like, I love, you know, finding properties and overhauling them and selling them. Like, I just have so many projects happening all at once all the time because that's just how my head works. Yeah. Um, we're doing a brand refresh um, that we spent six months last year working on. Um, so the things like that, you just like always keep growing and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. Thank Thanks, you. Ellen. Thanks for having me. Follow us on the gram. Yeah. For, for when I am on the gram. Ellen's social accounts are, are they, you just have Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Ellen Marie Bennett. Ellen Marie Bennett. And Headley and Bennett. H-E-D-L-E-Y. We'll see you on the gram. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for this episode. I'm your host, Bobby Hundreds. Our show was produced by Andrew London and edited by Rachel Kastner and Ivana Tucker. Music by Alexander Spitt. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.